Welcome on this good day that the Lord has made. I'm Joe Van Hoogen, and this is the Bread of Life. Our program is presented by the International Disciple-Making Ministry Church Partnership Evangelism. I encourage you to learn more about the amazing work we're doing all around the world. Just go to traincpe.org. And to learn more about this radio ministry and our missions fellowship in Boise, Idaho, go to breadoflifeboise.org. It's from that fellowship we share with you God's Word. Our lesson today is from Psalm 24. It's a psalm, we are told, that was sung when David brought the ark up to Jerusalem. It's a song the Jews learned to sing on the first day of every week. It's a song devoted to extolling the holy, all-glorious God. And it asks a most important question. Who is it that can come near to such a God? The nation of Israel sang this song one day out of the day of the week. The nation of Israel actually had been surrounded by pagan nations, and each one of these nations had various gods that gave expressions to various powers. And so, in a way to teach certain recitations for the nation and the people of Israel, the children and all the people, so that they would have a word against these false gods, a different psalm was chosen for each day of the week. Each one of those psalms was a psalm that celebrated some attribute of God that overwhelmed and defeated the power and strength that was hailed in the pagan gods of the nation surrounding them. And so they had seven psalms that they repeated on each of the different days of the week. This psalm, Psalm 24, was repeated on the first day of the week. Interestingly, that's the day when the Lord Jesus rose again from the grave. Psalm 24. The very morning in which He rose from the grave, Jews had risen on that day to sing this and recite this psalm in Israel. Well, let's go on to it, look at it. There are a few things I want to point out to you. The real thing that I want to put our focus on this morning is I want to put our focus on the question in part two. It's the most important question that could ever be asked. I can't think of a more important question that any person could ever ask themselves than this. What person, what kind of person can ascend into the very presence of that holy God? Who is fit for a relationship with the holy God whom the Bible tells us dwells in unapproachable light and is a consuming holy fire? Who can climb to the heights of His holiness and there dwell and stand in right relationship with God? It's a reasonable question to be asked in Psalm 24, a fitting question for the people to ask because they've already learned that God is holy and that God is not to be trifled with. They've learned it through this lesson of that man I told you about who put his hand up to stop the ark from rocking. His name was Uzzah. Actually, in 2 Samuel chapter 6, after it takes place, and Uzzah reaches his hand to stop the ark from rocking and falls down dead, David is found saying, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? The idea is, how can this holy thing be in my presence? And I did. That's expressed in this song, Who is the Man? who can ascend in the mount of the Lord. Eventually, they did bring that ark up. By the way, as they brought it up, they learned something. They had all the right priests carrying it. They had their poles to the various rings, careful not to touch it. As they went, the priest would step six steps forward, strides forward with the ark and pause, and an oxen would be sacrificed, and other animals would be sacrificed. They'd go six more steps all the way up to Jerusalem, the idea was that God was holy. Only come before God with a sacrifice made for our sins. Only with fear and awe before Him. That's what they learned. Now they ask this question, Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? 
who may stand in his holy place. It was in the very song they sang as they were going up to Jerusalem. How is it possible now, even as this ark is coming to our presence, that we can stand before God's presence in Jerusalem? That's what they were asking. That's the question. It is the most important question that you could ever ask. It's not asking not only who can ascend into God's presence, but who can remain there. Who can meet God and not retreat from His holy presence without being destroyed? The answer is given in verses 4 and 5 and 6, primarily in verse 4 here. Here's what it says. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul through falsehood, nor sworn deceitfully. Here we have it. Here are the things that are required of him. The person who could come and ascend in the presence of this God and climb up to this holy mountain to his presence and remain there is the person whose hand is filled with pure, clean actions. The person who has carried forth his life, bearing in his hands good works without one stain of sin upon those hands. That person who has lived according to God's law and is innocent of all wrongdoing altogether. You'll remember that Pilate, after he condemned the Lord Jesus to the cross, went before all the people and washed his hands, as if somehow the water would say, this is really not on me, it's on you. But read the book of Acts, and Pilate is attributed with being one of the individuals who crucified Christ. He was saying, my hands are clean, but it wasn't true. It wasn't right. A person who comes in God's presence is a person who has utterly clean hands filled with only good works with no sin whatsoever upon them. It's speaking about action, what you do. Your hands are what you do things with. What you do is perfectly righteous and clean and pure. The practical point to gain here for yourself for just a moment is this, that no one can come into the presence of God who doesn't at the bare minimum attempt to maintain purity in their actions. And seek to exert themselves to do God's will, to have clean hands. At least that, but, well, that's not the standard that's offered to us here. That's not enough. It's not enough simply to have clean hands. It's not enough that practice be what we bring forward before God. These hands must be clean because we have pure motives. And so this verse says, not only must they have clean hands, but they must have a thoroughly pure and clean heart. In fact... You cannot have clean hands unless you have thoroughly pure and clean hearts that are thoroughly pure in every way in its motive. Not a heart to impress others. Not a heart that simply wants to gain some moral ascendancy over somebody else. You know, there are people who want to be good because they want to be better than somebody else. They want to win the competition game of saying, God, I'm bad, but I'm not as bad as him. Their idea, it's kind of like this. God is this grizzly bear that's running after them and pursuing them, and the effort at good works is running away from the grizzly bear, and all they want to do is run faster than somebody else. You know, maybe God will catch up that person and I'll go free. So every person tries to gain moral ascendancy in a certain way, but not for the right reasons. Or they want to gain moral ascendancy, they want to gain pure deeds and good works in order that they, they can have some kind of power over individuals particularly if they live in a society that prizes morality, that prizes as a part of their religious tradition being good and right, then they want to achieve goodness and rightness so that they can be on top in that position and have ascendancy over 
and control or influence over those who might not be as proficient in keeping their hands clean. Now, that's the wrong reason to do it. Actually, go to Mark chapter 7, verses 3 through 4. Clean hands without a clean heart equals not clean hands. Mark chapter 7, verse 34, you know, the Jews had developed a series of moral laws to make sure that they followed all the laws. The Pharisees were the experts at this. They had moved beyond just morality and the things they did to creating actually a tradition and custom of the various ways in which they would wash their hands and cleanse their hands, constantly seeking to be pure. Mark tells us about it. For the Pharisees, in verses 3 and 4, for the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way holding the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other things which they have received and hold, like washing of cups and pitchers and copper vessels and couches. All of this was an attempt to ascend, but it wasn't an attempt to ascend in the presence of the Holy God. It was an attempt to ascend spiritually and religiously over everyone else, to hold the ascendant position of moral standing before others' eyes. Look what the Lord Jesus says to these men in verse 6. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you, speaking to the Pharisees, these hand washers, prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Look at verse 14. Hear me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Go down to verse 21 and read 21 to 23 here with me. Jesus says, For from within, out of the heart of a man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Here it is. That man with clean hands must have a completely clean heart or he will never possibly have clean hands. There's your qualification. Negatively, what David taught the people to sing was this. They must be people who were open and honest in the purity they presented before God. Open honesty of purity that must be completely without and have no place for dishonesty or deceit. No place for posturing. Verse 4 there, the last half of verse 4, I should say. This is what is underscored. The need for complete honesty and transparency. A clean person has no fake within them. A clean person has no false within them. The translators have given us the idea in the New King James that it's lifting up themselves to false idols because it says don't lift yourself up by falsehood. But it's just themselves. That's the nature of men. When men want to achieve even moral ascendancy, they pad their resume. They present themselves to people. We put ourselves forward in such a way that we hope they see good things in us and we hide back behind our back the things that we don't want them to see and we leave them with that impression and we think we can do the same thing with God. We're being told here it won't work. God demands clean hands. He demands a clean heart. And do not lift yourself up before others or before me with falsehood, with deceit, 
Religious people are very good at finding out what the affectations are, what the presentations are, what the manners are and the proper words are in order to appear righteous, how just to say the right thing, what to speak about. They'll even learn what are the right sins to confess. But the ones that they should not, they hide. No. Before God, to come in His presence, there must be pure hands, a pure heart, pure lips that only speak truth. No deceit, no swearing falsely, no giving yourself, others, or God the wrong impression. By the way, when you come to the Lord Jesus, when you find God's salvation, what God does by His Spirit above everything else is He makes you honest. In that moment, what God does is He stops you from telling the lies you've been telling yourself, and you speak truth to Him. And this is what you say to Him. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. It's the first great, transparent, honest, truthful thing you said to Him. All the obfuscating, all the excuses, all the reasons why it's okay for you to do this or do that, all of that falls away and it's God, it's sin, it's in me, and it's on me, and oh God, forgive me. Well, thank you for listening to the Ministry of the Bread of Life. To learn more about our ministry, let me suggest you go to one of two websites. First, go to traincpe.org traincpe.org to learn more about the work we're doing all over the world to equip and engage the body of Christ in personal evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. Or to learn about our work in your community, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, God bless you.